All right, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, you sent your Son into the world to live for us and die for us and bear our sins and to rise again and to ascend to heaven to take our humanity with him so that we might be exalted to be sons of God. We pray that you would grant us always to receive this blessing with thanksgiving and to look to you for every good thing. We pray this in your most holy name. Amen. All right. So, I have a few things on the sheet from last week. Um, I, I regret that we didn't get to talk about everything that was there, so maybe we can spend a little time catching up from last week. And then, uh, it helps out also because this week the, uh, the text is even shorter, right? Hallowed be thy name. So, we'll, uh, we'll see, how that, see how that goes, see if we can uh, see what we have to say here. There's a lot to talk about holiness. Um, um, and, and Bailey has a lot of interesting things to contribute in that regard. So, let's start with um, this, this quotation here about the word our in the first part of the prayer, the, the introduction to the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. Um, this is probably self-evident, um, but when, when Jesus speaks the word our, you know, we talked about how he, he says Father in Aramaic and then opens, opens the prayer to the whole world in the same way when he says the word our, um, it's not just my father, it's, it's your father as well. And there's this quotation from the previous pope, which in his book on, um, on Jesus, which I, I find it's, it's helpful for sort of fleshing it out. He says, finally, we need to consider the word our. Jesus alone was fully entitled to say my father because he alone is truly God's only begotten son of one substance with the father. By contrast, the rest of us have to say, our Father. Only within the we of the disciples can we call God Father, because only through communion with Jesus Christ do we truly become children of God. In this sense, the word our is really rather demanding. It requires that we step out of the closed circle of our I. So, now, there's a couple interesting things to note there. Um, there's, there was a theologian of the... Um, 18th century, a German theologian who said, it's always stuck with me, he said that um, the, 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 the leap of faith, the sort of believing that Jesus died on the cross for your sins is so substantial that you believe that Jesus would have died even for your sins alone, even if the, the rest of the world wasn't, wasn't um, for him to save. Um, and that, that's certainly true, the way that God speaks to us as children um, you are his child, and he cares about you individually, um, so much so that he would give his life for you alone. Uh, so that's, that's a fact. Nevertheless, we find ourselves in this situation where um, we're not alone. We, we are among a community of believers. And so what's, what's implicit here with uh, what, what, uh, what Pope Benedict was saying is that when we say the word our in our Father, we are acknowledging our relationship to other people. And not just, I mean, you can, you can extend it even further, not just the people in our church or even the people in the church at large, but the whole world in um, sort of the basic sense is begotten of the Father, created by God. God is the Father of the world. Um, and so we're acknowledging that when we say this prayer, and it orients our, it has to orient the way we think about our neighbors, Right? So our neighbors are also children of God, um, regardless of what we think about them. 
Does that, does that make sense? It's, not, it's nothing too sophisticated, I know. But, it's, but to, to see that in this prayer is, I think, really helpful. Um, and it's helpful if, if you know, if um, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we try and unpack these things every time we pray it, 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 has to, it, it necessarily sets the, sets, our, sets the tone for our day, sets the way we look at the world. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, anything, anything else anybody wants to comment or mention about uh, the word our? Okay. So now the, 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 sort of the crux of that, that um, opening to the Lord's Prayer, though, has to do with the word Father, right? And this is, again, pretty, pretty uh, self-explanatory. Of course, we talked about how um, the, the endearing way that Jesus refers to God as Father is unusual. Um, and it's sort of shocking. So it's like, it's like saying Daddy, right? That, so it's that, it's that close. It's that familial familiar of a term. But see what um, this fellow, Reinhold Schneider, I don't know who he is. He was quoted by somebody else. But see what he says here. The Our Father begins with a great consolation. We are allowed to say Father. This this one word contains the whole history of redemption. We are allowed to say Father because the Son was our brother and has revealed the Father to us. Because, thanks to what Christ has done, we have once more become children of God. So now the first thing to note is that it's not obvious that God is our Father. Um, now pa- Paul, when he's preaching to the uh, Greeks in Athens, says, quotes some, some, some uh, philosophers who talk about God being the creator of the world and Father in that sense. But it's not obvious that God is Father in the sense that we are brothers of Christ. Right? That we are, we are now children of God in the image of Christ. So... This is a, uh, one of the key points I wanted to make. There are really two ways to think about God as Father. So, uh, Father, principally, is somebody who, who begets. That's what makes you a Father. Um, and that's true in creating the world. So, the whole world is begotten of the Father. But now, in the image of Christ, that comes by faith. That comes through Christ's sacrifice, which we receive by faith. And that's something which you can't, you can't tell just by looking at the world. You can't come to that conclusion just by sort of thinking about God. Even if you believe in God, believe that a God exists, you can't conclude that God is your Father like he's Christ's Father um, unless it's revealed to you. And that's, what, that's what's being communicated here. Jesus is saying, our Father, meaning he's your Father like he's my Father, in the very same way that he's my Father. Um, and that, that means something special to Christians. That's different than... Um, that's different than the way the world would see God as Father. Everybody on board? Okay, so now a little bit of uh, engagement here. What, my question for you is, um, thinking scripturally particularly, in what ways does God show his fatherliness? Or how do you characterize... So, so the primary thing is that God begets. That's what, that's what makes him a father. But he also behaves like a father. Where do we see that in Scripture? Where do we learn about that? Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, right. And I think the, the, the best instance of that, or one of the best instances, is when Jesus tells the, the parable of the prodigal son. So the father in that story is God, our father, right? And the way he behaves is the way God behaves towards us. Good. Forgiveness. That's great. What else? Anything else? 
Okay. Keep going. Uh, okay. <laughs> this, I see, can see a weakness in this analogy, but they go. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Nancy. Nancy is the whole paradigm in the Old Testament was the covenant relationship, which was really a vassal to a an overlord, and so in that sense, it was Jesus really who revealed and maybe even gave to us the Father relationship, whereas in the Old Testament it was more that we have an, our people have an agreement with God. Sure. Yeah, and now now it's interesting because we do see we do see a significant shift in the way that. The, the Old Testament is understood in that regard. So the covenant relationship, um, I will be my God and you will be my people, um, be holy as I am holy, this, this kind of stuff, um, that stands out in the Old Testament. When Jesus, when Jesus interprets it for us, when he in, explains it, we see, though, that, that like, for instance, in the, in the prophet Hosea, how, how, that, how God, you know, God's love prevails um, even in spite of our breaking the covenant, which is, you know, that's, that's, what, that's why Jesus is the key. Right, you're right, absolutely right. Okay, Mary. Except even though there was a covenant, he still did, like, he fed them, he yeah. took care of them, he protected them, which are all fatherly things. Right. We, yeah, we got the better end, of, the Israelites got the better end of the deal. Yeah, good. Yes, please. Um, with the, he, he, and he would give rules, too. I mean, he sure. Yeah. And what happens if you break the rules? Well, good, yeah. So forgiveness, but yeah, consequence, right? Also discipline, right? So I mean, we tend to sort of narrow in and focus on the like the times where people get swallowed up by the earth and burned up by fire. But that's not that's not sort of like the the norm for the way God disciplines people. It's discipline in love, he chastises so that people will turn, so that His people will turn to Him. Um, uh, you know, for whatever reason, some people. Uh, are, are, they, they make choices which warrant destruction, but um, but but for the for the way that God promises to deal with us, it is discipline done done in love. Mary. One thing I remember my father teaching me: who who is that? <laughs> so now that's that's a great example of how. Uh, and this is a key a key point to keep in mind when we talk about God as Father. Um, God is not a father in that he reflects the fatherhood of man. But the fatherhood that we have as men reflects God's fatherhood, weakly, dimly, right? So that, that's why your father has to say, do as I say, not as I do, because he's a dim reflection. He's, he's, um, he's not, not, the, not, we never behave as fathers should, right? Yeah, well, sure. So now, as Christians, absolutely, humility and asking for forgiveness. So, in some sense, that's a plea for forgiveness, right? Um, that's that's what uh, shows shows faith, right? Um, go ahead, Carol. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, absolutely. 
Right. And uh, but how many kids actually really acknowledge that, right? <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yep. I think that's a really good analogy. That's that's good. Yeah. <laughs> All right, anything else? What about um what about Luke 11 that we read this morning in chapel? Um So this is Luke's account of of it's the, it's the Luke's account of the Lord's prayer which sounds a little different than Matthew's account. But, um, but, but what he says about prayer, he relates directly to the fact that God is Father. So we can pray precisely because and only because God is, God is Father. So um, let's see, verse, verse 11. You know this well. What father among you? Chapter 11, verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So what's, what does that tell us about our Father? It's one of those questions where I'm asking you to just repeat what the text said. I know. So. He gives gifts, Okay. Yeah. Right. So, so what does a um, try and frame this so that the answer comes out that I want? Um, <laughs> how is it that God? How is it that? How is it that a father um, is able to give good gifts to a child who maybe doesn't ask for the right gifts? He, there you go. He knows the child. He knows what the child needs, right? He knows what's good. Um, and that's, I mean, that's, that's obvious to, in our relationship to our children. I mean, yesterday, Teddy knelt down on the sidewalk and was drinking out of a puddle. And I, I said, this is not good for you. So <laughs> I'll give you some water at home, right? But uh, so that's, that's that kind of a thing. Um, that's right. It's more of <laughs> he's imagining. That, he did that as well. So, um. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. And um, implicit there also is that he cares. Right. So I'm, as an imperfect father, I may know what my kids need, but I don't. I don't always care the way I should. You know. And he may be firm, but he's firm and loving. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other thing that we need to recognize is that everyone in our society doesn't understand what the word father means. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, divorce was practically unheard of. Sure. My children's generation, if half of the people are still married, it's a a wonder. Yeah. I don't even want to think about what my grandchildren's generation is going to be like. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, so we're at, we're at a, a sort of a crucial point in, in history now and as pertains and to marriage. Much of the problem is, is that the father is never part of the picture. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So now this, this is a question for, just sort of to, to ponder on. When you pray, our father, do you, do you um, first reflect on what, what your 
your father is like, or is it, or, or is it something we've been we've been doing long enough and talking about how God is father? Like, is is that a, is that a difficulty? Is that something that, um, is that something that we have to be conscious of in the world, um, explaining how God is father, or is it, is it is it, it dip, on yeah, the yeah, I suppose so, yeah. You know, I mean, you, you, so those are very kind things that you're saying, and it's, it's a, good, a really great observation that, um, that it's, not, it's not obvious. I mean, so we tend, sort of tend to think um, if, you have, if you have kids, things, just sort of, things will sort of just work out, right? <laughs> but, 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 I mean, and, 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 and like people, people survive, like they get through life, but um, it's, not, it's not obvious how... How to be parents? Um, we we have to re- receive instruction. We have to re- receive instruction. Um, yeah, and so and that's why that's why this community is so valuable. I mean, so we had uh, we had this family night the other night. Um, we were talking about grief. Ted and Sandy Kahn were there, leading a discussion about how how to help your children as they deal with grief. And the one of the the great things about it was, I mean, the content was was wonderful, but one of the fantastic things was that uh, there was this community of people who were going to support each other as they, as they learn how to parent, you know. It's an ongoing process of learning. So, so anyways, we're, we're, we're going a little bit down the road here, but, um, but it's helpful to note that, uh, that our, model, our model comes from God as Father, and we can model this for each other, just as, just as um, Christ is the, the bridegroom of the church, he models how the how the husband relates to his wife in the same way, you know. We 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 are imitators of of Christ, imitators of God. Good. Okay, I had one more passage written down, but I don't remember what it says. So, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's John, it's John fourteen, and actually we've talked about this already. Um, I, I'll just read this to you real quickly. Or John fourteen, beginning at verse eight. Philip says to Jesus. Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. And so... um, Sort of in the in the ultimate sense, then, when God gives, when God the Father sends Jesus the Son into the world, He's not just sending another person into the world to die for our sins. He is Himself. I mean, we don't dogmatically speaking, we don't say the Father died, but God was crucified on the cross, and that is how God behaves as Father, giving of Himself, <coughs> sacrificing Himself for His children, um, and that's sort of the, I mean. That's that's the ultimate expression of love, as Jesus says, and uh, that's that's how uh, how how we know that families are are tied together. Everybody doing all right? Any questions? Any comments? Okay. <laughs> 
It, well, uh, just to, to, to comment on that, I mean, we know that we know that um, we, we encounter crosses in this world, and one of those crosses is when our families don't behave like families, and that's a reality in this world. Um, but we, fortunately, I mean, this is the the great blessing that we have is that um, Jesus Jesus um, looks around at the disciples and says, "Here are here are your mother and your brothers, right?" So. Um, uh, we have that consolation, uh, even when things go go awry. Okay. Can I also add? Yes, surely. He comforts his disciples in the Bible. He comforts us by letting us know that we have uh, our Father. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yep. There was uh, a radio show the other day. Um, I've been trying. Uh, the, the one one sentence in the show really stuck with me, and I've been trying to. Th- see how it plays out in, in this discussion. So I'll, I'll throw it out there now, and maybe we can flesh it out a little bit. But the story is about this couple who was, um, what, what they, were, they were dating, and they were having an argument about whether or not they would want to have kids. The, 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 the man was older than the, the woman, and he, d- he had had kids already, didn't want to have kids. She wanted to have kids. They broke up. And he, he came to this moment of realization. That, this is what he says. I came to this moment of realization that... Um, you don't know when you don't know when life is going to end. You don't know what's in your future. And what he said was, let me see if I can quote him directly: "Having children is um, the ultimate expression of um, the ultimate expression of of investing in a future you can't control." Right? That, that's not word for word what it was. But the but the idea is when you have children, so you, your own you you know you may have a, a sense that you can control your own future. But when you have children, that's completely robbed of you, right? Yeah? So now, we can think about how this plays out in our lives, but think about how it plays out in God's life, right? So now, in a, in a very real sense, God controls everything. Nothing is outside of his control. Uh, and certainly nothing is outside of his knowledge and his, his, his predestination. Nevertheless, God empties himself, sends Christ into the world, um, and, and puts Christ's future outside of his control, puts his future into our control. Um, and so on the one hand, um, you know, it shows, it goes back to this discussion about vulnerability, right? That's how God makes himself vulnerable. Um, but also it, it's an expression of love. That's how much he loves us that he's willing to give up control of his future um, for our sake. So, Think about that. I, of course, it's one of these. It's, it's another analogy where it breaks down at some point because, dogmatically speaking, you know, God controls everything. But nevertheless, I mean, he uh, he's putting he's handing over Jesus into our into our care, and and what do we do with him? So we'll we'll talk about that more as we talk about Jesus' name, or God's name here. So, should we move on to, Hallowed be Thy name? So I don't have to ask anybody to read that. Um, let's talk a little bit about what Bailey said. Does anybody have any, uh, any comments, anything they want to bring out about what Bailey mentioned in chapter 8? Anything stand out to you? It's warm in here. Is it just me or is it really warm? Okay, all right. I thought I was just getting... So did 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 um, did you read the chapter? Yep. Okay. Yep. There's some yeps. Okay. Um, 
Let's see. It's short, so I, I understandable if there's not a lot in there that you want to draw out. Um, how about this? The, or Jan, go ahead. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah, good. So, so God is holy, and his name is holy. Um, how does his name, how is his name made unholy? Nancy. And that's the thing which gives us so much responsibility, because often by our acts. I mean, we can, we can put, make his name unholy by the things we do. And I think this is the example of, you know, the children of Israel, sometimes God would have to discipline them. And even disciplining them sometimes would give him a bad name. Right. That it would seem as though he wasn't powerful. But I think today we see that because there's so many people who basically reject the church and God because it's Christian. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's, I, the, the passage that he refers to here in, in Ezekiel uh, is, I think, really helpful. Just for putting this in perspective, let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. Um, before Daniel and after Lamentations 36 and let's see um, I want to get all of the good stuff here would somebody please read um, Ezekiel 36 verses 16 through 23 Okay. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their ways before me were like the uncleanness of a woman in her menstrual impurity. So I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood that they had shed in the land, for the idols with which they had defiled it. I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed throughout the countries. In accordance with their ways and their deeds, I judged them. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name, and that people said of them, These are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Okay, thank you. So that, I mean, that lays, that lays out what, what you were describing there, Nancy. Um, uh, God's name is holy, uh, and the people on whom he has put his name uh, have the potential, have the capacity to defame that name. But God's name, since it is holy, it's, it is in God's interest to maintain the holiness of that name, to, to make sure, to assure that people know that it's holy. Um, so now this plays out then down the line. So he gives, the, gives his name to Israel, gives his name to Moses in Exodus, the burning bush, right? And then it's applied to Israel. Um, I will place my name on you. And then 
Now today, we, ha- we have this individually in, in holy baptism, right? So we think about that. Um, it, 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 it cuts two ways. So on the one hand, God's holiness is ours because his holy name has been placed on us. It's been given to us. We, are, we, are, we have been baptized into his name. Um, but then, like you said, there's this great responsibility that follows because if we're called by God's name and we behave in a way which is inconsistent with God's holiness, then we defame his name. We make his name unholy in the world, right? Um, uh, helpful in this, uh, in, in understanding this is, is uh, Paul in First Thessalonians. If you'll turn there with me real quick. Uh, we studied First and Second Thessalonians in, in the joy group, which I, I hadn't, I hadn't done a careful reading of them prior to that. And it's really interesting what Paul is commu- trying to communicate to the, uh, to the Thessalonians. He says, um, you guys are doing great. Keep on going. Do better, right? <laughs> he says, you're doing great. You, you guys are, are you're, um, you're doing what I asked you to do. Now do more. Uh, strive to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So he talks about their holiness um, in chapter 4. Let's see here. Beginning, beginning at verse 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'll give you all a chance to get there. And this, this is common in the way that Paul ends his letters, um, but it really stands out here in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning at verse 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So this really, I mean, this points out the tension that's at play. Um, and, and Bailey addresses this as well. So we've been called in holiness. We've been called holy by God. Um, what happens then if we behave in an unholy way? Um, and so this has ramifications for God's holy name, but it also has implications for our own sanctification, right? Our own um, being made in the image of Christ. And so my question for you is, um, well, for, uh, I got all kinds of things to read to you. Let's, um, so first of all, how do, you, how do you understand your own holiness? What does it mean that you are holy? Okay. Reflect that all the time. Okay. Good. So even if I'm not there and I'm not going to catch you, or Dad's not going to catch you. <laughs> and I was reminded her. I'm like, you know, you never know who's going to be right. watching. Everything's on Facebook. Your neighbors. <laughs> yeah. You know. But okay. I tell her, I'm like, you know, expect to be behaved because he's been there with you. So okay. Like good. So, um, so now that's good. So your your holiness is in one way or another reflected in your behavior, right? Good. What What else?
you, you, you hit the nail on the head. So we, this, this holiness reflected in our behavior can be, um, can be a, a point of despair for us. And this is something that we ought, to, we ought always to remember. Um, God is making us more and more holy because he promises that he is and he does it with his gifts, but we don't always see it. We can't always. In fact, in fact there, we may at times um, feel like we are regressing, right? You look at your behavior and you say, man, I am not acting like, I, I'm not behaving in a manner worthy of the calling to which I've been called. Um, and our confidence in that, play, in that time is, is to turn away from our behavior, not, not, and I don't mean stop behaving the way we've been behaving, but turn away from looking at our behavior as a measure of our holiness, but to look to Christ as a measure of our holiness. So, um, holiness is something that is given to us, um, not, something that, not something that we muster up on our own. Good, and I, we do. And when I say that we don't always, we don't always see God's holiness manifest in our lives. We do occasionally, mm-hmm. and and we see that. I mean, we have a great example here when people love each other um, the way that they do. But even in those low times when we don't feel that good, um, we have confidence in God's holiness that He's given to us in in baptism. Uh, it's, it's utterly reliable. And so now, so the question is, so here we're, we're going aside. Um, let's look at what Kleinick says here. Kleinick always has the answer. So um, <laughs> this quotation under the title Holiness there, this is from his essay, Sharing in God's Holiness. Listen to what he says. The celebration of the liturgy is meant to teach us of God's holiness, initiate us into his holiness, and advance us in his holiness. Have you ever noticed how frequently the order of service for communion mentions holiness? We begin by invoking the Holy Spirit. At the climax of the great Gloria, we confess that our Lord Jesus is only holy. We profess our faith in the holy Christian church or else in the communion of the saints. Many pastors introduce their sermon by asking the Lord to sanctify his people or here in the holy name of Jesus by the truth of his word. Then, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we not only praise God as our Holy Father, but we also join with the angels in adoring our thrice-holy God. Just before we receive the sacrament, we pray for the hallowing of our Father's name in the Lord's Prayer. All of this makes scant sense to those who do not know the grammar of holiness. Whoever loses that can hardly appreciate the mystery of worship, for worship has to do with God's holiness. And so what follows then is that God's holiness, I mean, so what happens in the divine service, in the liturgy, is God coming to us and giving us his holiness. Um, and it, the, so the starting place is this grammar of holiness which looks to God for his holiness, um, not to ourselves. That's why the holiness of God's name is such an important thing. And that's why when we pray for God's name to be hallowed, what we're really asking is that, um, that we, would live, we would live a life that, that reflects that holiness which he has already given to us, which he has put in us, and that God's, that God's name would be understood to be holy in the world. Does that make sense? Um, so so we, can't, we can't do anything to undermine God's holiness or the holiness that God gives us, but we, we pray that God would reflect that holiness in the world.
Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. That's right. So in some sense, in a very, and this is, what, this is what Luther says in the small catechism. We pray, hallowed be thy name. We are asking God to meet us in the divine service and teach us through his word and give us his body and blood to show his holiness, to demonstrate his holiness. So in the Old Testament, I mean, this becomes remarkably personal, right? So in the Old Testament, it was God demonstrated his holiness by saving the people of Israel on this grand scale. But here he comes to us individually. So, I mean, it all ties together. We've got, here in the Lord's Supper, we have God handing over, you know, handing over himself, uh, giving up control of his future, handing him over, handing himself over to us, his holiness over to us. Um, you know, uh, not because, and it's, it's not a risk to him because we can do anything to hurt God, but because he wants, to, he wants it to benefit us. That's what he gives it to us for. Um, does that make sense? Okay. Let's see. What else do we have here? Krista. I just have only a question. You know, I think um, our, our youth, or even when we grow up also, um, I think it's very important that you um, recognize in church that there is God. Yeah. And uh, that you respect the uh, the whole uh, atmosphere there. Sure. You know, just uh, just um, there is there is something holy here going on. Yeah. And I think um, this kind of ehrfurcht what we have in in Germany, okay. this uh, this reverence, and uh, um, sometimes I think it's lacking. Sure. Uh, that we take. Um, for granted or whatever, you know that we just um, <laughs> that we just uh, have this kind of what what we more or less grew up with. Yeah, you know, I you are just uh, when you come to church, this is this holiness right what uh, surrounds you. Just as with uh, with most things, um, especially in the Lutheran Church, there are there are two two sides of the horse that you can fall off on, right? So. You, on the one side, you can, by your attitude, by your habits, you can reflect a lack of reverence, which then sort of boils down, which, which you know, or not boils down, but um, trickles down, there we go, uh, to th- the way that you think about God's holiness and his presence in the service. So um, uh, that's one side to fall off the horse. Of course, there is the other side as well, where, where we become, uh, where we think that our, our attitude is what sort of invokes God's holiness, or or, or our reverence is is uh, what makes us worthy, and so both of those things are are yeah absolutely need we need to we need to watch out for that. That's why praying this prayer and reflecting on it, praying it, praying it um, meditatively, reflecting on it and and acknowledging what God's saying to us about His holiness is so helpful for Christians. That's why it's sort it's sort of the starting place for our. Our uh, our relationship with with God in, in in terms of prayer and worship. Um, otherwise, we forget. We forget one way or the other. Does that make sense? Okay. Anything else? Okay. Um, th- this quotation, uh, this last quotation here. Now, this is gonna. It's kind of a bummer of a quotation, I guess. At this point, we've already covered all this stuff, but I thought this was interesting 
Um, I don't want it to bum you out, though, because I want to, I want to end with the, with the promise that, you, know, you're, that you, you have God's holiness in baptism. But, so I'll say that again after I read the quotation. So um, this is a woman writing in Christianity Today. There is a scene in the 1999 CBS miniseries, Jesus, that haunts me. Jesus is in agony in Gethsemane, and Satan comes to tempt him one last time. In a devastating move, he shows the Lord a preview of the evils that will be done in his name and asks if his sacrifice will be worth it. The scene is not from Scripture, but the scenario it proposes is powerful. In the shadow of the cross, did Jesus observe all the wrongs, catastrophic and petty, we'd credit to him? Did he see inquisitions in gas chambers, defenses of slavery, and God-hates-gays placards? Did he anticipate the way we'd use his name as a political trump card or speak for him and pronounce his judgments in the wake of tragedies? Did he hear us mutter when confronted with need, God helps those who help themselves? Did he want to shout that he'd said no such thing? So, on the one hand, this, this serves as a warning, right? So, we, we, we hold God's name um, and we, we express his name to the world. Um, so we ought to, ought to be responsible and understand the second commandment um, for what it is. However, so here's the promise, right? So the, she asks this rhetorical question, did, God, did Jesus know all of this? Did he decide it was worth it? What's the answer? There you go. So, um, and, and, and he delivers his holiness in spite of the fact that, um, that we're, gonna def- we're going to defame his name. So we ask for his blessing and ask for his prayer um, Whenever we, whenever we see that we're not, we're not living uh, in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. Okay, well, if you don't have any other comments or questions. So now I realize that we, so next week is the last week, right? But there are two chapters left. So um, Pastor Nelson will have to sort that out. <laughs> you can read them, you can read them both. I love how you delegate. I would suggest reading them both. Um, they're, not, they're not too long, too terribly long, so... Let's, let's conclude with the Lord's Prayer. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.